amazing. Well, Brother John, you're right. Um, it is amazing how not just the songs, but this morning's lesson, if any of you are paying attention, uh, the only difference between mine and Brother Bob's lessons is the words are rearranged. <laughs> so, uh, but I promise it is not the same lesson. Let us go to God in prayer. Thank you, Father, for giving all of us another opportunity to assemble together to worship you, to strengthen each other, and to be ready to go out into the world and to share the gospel with those that we come into contact with. I ask that you help all of us to have open hearts and minds to what your word has to say. Please help everyone to to definitely uh, check what your word says against what I am saying and help everything that I say to be in line with what your word says. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So the title of my lesson is Who Am I? Um, this lesson was inspired by Romans chapter 9, um, the whole entire chapter. Um, but there is a song that many of you may have heard by Casting Crowns. I'm not going to, I didn't have the whole entire song and its lyrics written out, but two of the lines um, I kept in my head as I was writing this lesson, but it is, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth will care to know my name? Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. At the beginning of Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, we see Paul expressing anguish over his people, the Israelites. You see, the Jews were chosen by God as the nation that Jesus would come through. Unfortunately, uh, as we've been studying in our uh, in the adult Bible class uh, and John, um, the recurring theme that you see there is many of the people that Jesus came into contact with missed the point because we, they only saw the physical aspect uh, of things. Um, the Israelites, many of them missed what God was telling them, had been telling them all along in the Old Testament about Jesus and who he, he was and who he, what he would say when he came to this earth. Um, Starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 9, reads, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I will be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people chosen to be God's. The people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen.
Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. And I'll stop there. Um, But when you read Romans chapter 9, Paul is given a recap of the history of his people, Israel. And the biggest thing to understand is uh, the people of Israel, they are God's people. They were chosen by God. But that's from a physical standpoint. Um, They are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But just being the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not, was not enough to make them um, followers of God or chosen by God. And that was something that they did not understand. When Jesus taught, talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders of that day, this was something that they never understood or were unwilling to come to grips with. Because they were stuck in the mindset of our father Abraham... The, teach, the teachings of Moses, instead of focusing on what God, uh, what God's message was and, and always has been. Uh, the question in verse 6 is, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. He continues saying, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scripture says, or scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebecca, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Again, simply being descended from Abraham was not enough to be children of the promise to be God's people. And Paul takes it even a, a step further. You know, in our minds, in today's world, when decisions are made where families are concerned, um, wouldn't it make sense if the eldest child was the one who would lead his family or be the father of his nation? You know, that would make sense to us, to human beings. Um, and you, you might argue that, or it, it is true that Esau was rejected. And Esau did make mistakes. He sold his own birthright. But you, you also remember that, you know, Jacob had a part to play in that. Just because, you know, he was chosen to be uh, the father, or to be Israel... Um, he made some mistakes and misjudgments al- along the way as well. So they both did um, good and bad things. But that was not why God chose Jacob. Uh, the whole entire theme, when you read through the Bible, the, the biggest thing I think we need to understand is 
we don't understand why God makes every single decision he makes. Sometimes when you read through the Bible, he makes a decision that we just do not understand. But Paul explains, or is trying to help us uh, understand that and grasp that. If you continue reading, or one more point I wanted to make before we continue reading, we see things from a small vantage point. God sees the big picture. He has the whole world in mind, not just one nation. Ultimately, the entire reason he chose Abraham, he chose one nation, was so that Jesus could come forth. And ultimately, so that Jesus could save his nation, Israel, but also save us. In verse 10, um, continuing, excuse me, continuing on, let's see, I wanted to take you to Romans chapter 2, verse 11, real quick. Romans chapter 2, verse 11, explains how God thinks even more. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Greek, for God does not show favoritism. God is not, or in some versions it will say God is not the respecter of persons. So God does not show favoritism. Uh, We show favoritism all the time, without even realizing it um, at times. But God does not. If he did, I think we'd be in a lot of trouble right now. You continue reading back over in Romans chapter 9. Um, the question that comes to mind then is, because, you know, God promised Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations, of, father of a great nation, that his people would be bigger than the stars in the sky. Um, you wouldn't be able to, to count, count them. Um, he promised uh, Abraham's descendants Isaac and Jacob, the same thing. Um, And so, when you get through the Old Testament to the New Testament, it may seem like, you know, Israel is not being treated fairly. And Paul continues saying, are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others. So they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding. Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration? and others have throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy. 
who are prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Now, the gist of this verse, from what I, from where I'm standing, is God can do whatever he wants. Um, and as human beings, that may be a hard thing to come to grips with, because we sometimes act that way. We, we act like we can do whatever we want, and there's nothing that anyone can tell us, when ultimately the only being who has that authority is God. He could be a tyrannical being who created us as robots who have no choice but to follow him. But even in the verses we just read, in the examples Paul gives of Pharaoh, he gave Pharaoh, if you go back and you read that account in Exodus, he gave Pharaoh ten opportunities to repent and to change his ways. It's not like God just gave those ten plagues without warning Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron went before him each and every single time, preparing him, saying, this is what's going to happen if you do not let my people go. But Pharaoh decided on his, in his own mind, no, I'm not going to obey God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you read, you see that pattern throughout the Bible. It's not that God makes people choose not to follow him. He gives them opportunity. And as just as Paul says in, in verse 22, in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. That is something that's hard for me to even grasp. Because sometimes when we are angry, it's hard to be patient with people that, that we come into contact with, who we're dealing with. But God gives us a great example of how even when he's angry, he has every right to be angry with those who he's, he's, his anger is, is torn, turned towards. And yet he's still patient. Patient with those who do not follow him and patient with us when we, we don't get it right. He's patient with us each and every single day. So as the New King James Version in the ESV says, who, who are you, O man? To, to question God or to argue with God. Who am I to question God with the decisions that he makes? Uh, and it's, we may not blatantly come out and say that we're arguing with God, but we do with, even when you're reading the, the Bible sometimes, I'll find myself saying, what, wait a minute. What, what about, you know, this over here or, or this, this over here? But no, God, God sees the big picture when we don't. He sees things way ahead when we, we can only see things that are right in front of us. God can do whatever he wants, and we should be fortunate that he is a merciful God even to those who spurn his kindness. Paul buttons up the, the uh, chapter by bringing it home so he started by talking about his own people, the Israelites. But now this, the chapter is focused on us. Technically, we are all Gentiles. We are not um, children of Israel. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who are not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. 
and then, and, excuse me, then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. What does, this, what does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Who is this rock? It's Jesus. This rock, this man, was with them for 33 years. And again, you know, when you read the gospel, when you read all four of the gospels, but especially John, um, it's easy to get frustrated with the people that Jesus is talking to because they don't see the big picture. But in reality, we are those people. <laughs> we are just like them. We don't see things from the spiritual standpoint. Not not at first. We see things from the physical instead of seeing the whole picture. Jesus shows his own patience with these people. I can remember from a very young age when I learned about Nicodemus visiting Jesus in John chapter 3. And when Jesus talks to him about how we need to be born again, you know, Nicodemus's response is comical, but it's exactly how we would respond. You know, he's, he says, what do you mean? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb a second time? Second time? And, you know, it seems childish, but it's because he's not seeing it from a spiritual standpoint. And we, we are very much the same way. This rock of stumbling, rock of, of offense, um, Jesus came to this earth and he died for those, for, for all of us, but even for those who didn't believe in him, who questioned him every single day instead of trusting what he was saying. And, and what we read about this morning, again in class, I'm going to keep picking on you, Scott, um, because it was a good lesson. What we read about in class this morning, how Jesus showed them the works of God. His very works, the miracles he performed, the signs he performed, were clearly from God, and yet they, didn't, they still did not believe him. Some questioned and asked, is this man a demon? And, and some, some others said, how can a demon, you know, and you fill in the blank, do these, these works, these signs? And then even up until the point when he was crucified, the day he was crucified, he still showed patience. He still taught the people, the very people 
who put him on trial, he was still willing to teach Pilate, to teach uh, or to talk to those who were crucified along with him. Um, there's so much you can learn from Jesus in every aspect of his life. Ultimately, he, he died for all of us. And he was resurrected on, uh, on the third day. The challenge before us, as was the challenge for those who were reading this letter, is deciding to trust in him. Will you trust in Jesus? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, many of which were there when Jesus was crucified, trusted and obeyed the commandment he handed down in Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And on that same day, Peter answered their question because they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because he just gave, he gave the first gospel sermon and he, he, he didn't sugarcoat it. He let them know this man, this Messiah that was prophesied of by Joel and David and Isaiah and so many other prophets, you crucified. This was the very Son of God who you put to death. How would you feel if someone told you that? That's really hard for us to imagine today, but if someone told you that you are the reason that a man died 50 days ago, how would you feel? I would feel terrified because the people of those days they knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. They knew of what had been handed down of the accounts of how wrathful and awesome God's power is. How he turned his own power against his very people for turning away from him. And yet, again, God was patient with them. He didn't utterly destroy them like he could have. He was patient with them, and he was patient with these people on that day of Pentecost, by allowing Peter to preach to them the good news and give them the opportunity to be saved. So I would want to know, what can I do to make this right? What can I do to be covered so that I don't have to have Jesus Christ's blood on my hands? Peter replied in Acts 2, verse 38, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that, that might seem so simple. You know, there's so many doctrines out there in this world, in the denominational world, that make it a little, a lot more complicated than it really needs to be. But ultimately, Christ is seeking our faith and our obedience. Because having faith means not just we don't just believe that Jesus came to die for us and that um, he's the son of God we must act on that faith by obeying what he wants us what he's commanded for us to do so again the question or the title of this lesson is who am I and this lesson is for all of us you know who am I to question God because sometimes it's easy to forget and and to get into a mindset where you, you do question the things and the decisions that that God has made. But I'm thankful that he is who he is. 
Because without him, we would not have any of this. You know, one man, one human being, who was in the place of God for one day, the world would stop. I, I don't even want to think about how terrible that would be. I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you. I hope that you will go and you will study on your own Romans chapter 9. The whole book of, the whole letter of, to the Romans is an amazing letter. Um, I, I've mentioned this before, but Brother Bob Lawrence um, spent one quarter last year, I believe, in that book, in the, in the book of Romans. And it's amazing to be able to read it from beginning to end and to understand uh, Paul's message to those people. So if you have any prayers or concerns, now is the perfect time to come forward and, and ask um, for prayers to the church. Or if you are someone who would like to put Christ on in baptism, today is the perfect day. Today is the only day because tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Let us stand as together we, we sing.